Sunday City Light Church. Hey, I am incredibly honored and excited to be back with you today. In fact, I want you to do me a favor just right now, wherever you are watching this from, whether you're right there in the sanctuary or you're watching this from home, would you just give God the best praise that you got? Come on, you could do better than that. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come on, you got to rejoice and be glad in it. I tell you, I am so excited uh, to be a part of the fall revival. The only thing that would make this moment even better is if I was there with you in person, but I'm not. I am right here in the great country of Texas, and uh, man, I bring you so much love. I love City Light Church. I have uh, kind of been with your pastors on the journey when you were just in their hearts, and so to see all that God has done uh, in your church just in its infancy has been absolutely incredible uh, to watch. In fact, I just want to pause for the cause and really give you a moment to give honor to where honor is due. Uh, it was Dr. King who said that the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where you stand in moments of challenge and controversy. And uh, I don't think that's not just the ultimate measure of a man. I think it's the measure of a leader as well. And it's been pretty incredible to see how Pastor Jabin and Shannon have led so well in this challenging year in uncharted waters. And I think you ought to let them know right now how much you love them, how much you appreciate them. Come on, right now, make some noise for my friends, Pastor Jabin, Pastor Shannon, Taylor, and I love you so much. Thank you for letting me be a part of this uh, revival uh, month. And I'm excited to share the Word of God with you. I'm going to jump straight into it. And I know how y'all get down to City Light, so make sure you are verbally involved. And uh, I know this Word uh, is going to bless you. Go with me to Mark chapter 8 today. Mark chapter 8. And I want to look at verses 14 through 21. The Gospel according to Mark chapter 8. We'll start at verse 14 and we'll land at verse number 21. And it says... The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Come on, how many you know, whenever Jesus asks you a question, that question is never for him. Come on, God does not need to be informed of anything because he knows everything. If he is asking you a question, uh, there's something you're not seeing. There's something you're not perceiving. And Jesus goes on to say, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? City Light, I want to preach to you today, not long, probably about six and a half hours. No, I'm playing, I'm playing. Uh, but I want to preach to you today using this as a title, Don't Forget to Remember. Don't Forget to remember, would you do me a favor and just look at somebody close to you? Don't touch them, uh, but just look at them and say, neighbor, don't forget to remember. Why is it that when we go through challenging seasons, we have the tendency to remember the things we should forget 
and we forget the things we should remember. Come on, am I the only one? Why is it when I'm going through a challenging season, I don't remember like all the encouraging emails and all the positive messages that I get on social media. No, when I'm feeling down, I remember all of the mean, nasty, cantankerous comments that I get from people who don't even got a profile picture on their page, got a public opinion from a private account. Why do I remember what they said then? Because we have a tendency, we're going through challenging seasons, to remember the things we should forget, and we forget the things we should remember. But there is something in this text that Jesus is trying to get his disciples and you and I to not forget to remember. That's what I want to talk about today. Let's jump into it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you are doing in Las Vegas through City Light Church. Holy Spirit, Speak to your people today. Our hearts are open. Our minds are receptive. We want to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Don't forget to remember. Ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that the year 2020 still isn't over. <laughs> Come on, is it just me or does it feel like this year has been going on for half a century? I do not think it's an exaggeration. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that this has been the year that has changed the world. 2020 has changed the game. Now, don't get me wrong, every year has its challenges, uh, every year has its problems, every year has its defining moments. But not every year has such a sudden paradigm shift where you are left with more questions than you have answers. How many know it seems to be more complexity than there is clarity? And everybody, wherever you are in the world, is having to tap into the lost art of adaptability. 2020 has changed the game. 2020, the irony, the irony, the number that we associate with vision, and yet this is the year that we're seeing things that nobody saw coming. Nobody saw coming. And if you're like me, earlier this year, I was having uh, some intense intercession, uh, also known as complaining. And uh, I said, God, hold on. I'm seeing some things that I did not plan for this year, nor did I prepare for. And I felt like God said something to me that I want to share with you today. God whispered to me, Robert, don't forget to remember you prayed for this year. I said, hold up, wait a minute. I did not pray for anything I'm seeing this year. He said, oh no, yes you did. You got anointed amnesia. Don't forget to remember you prayed for this year because you're the one that said at the beginning of 2020, God, I want you to change me this year. Uh, you're the one that said at the beginning of 2020, God, I want to go deeper in my relationship with you this year. You're the one that said at the beginning of the year, God, whatever it takes for me to get more of you, I am willing to do it. I told God, hold on. I don't remember saying any of that. He said, okay, I'm going to take you to your own Instagram page. You know it's bad when God takes you to your own Instagram page and reminds you of the first sermon you preached in 2020. City Light, can I show you a sermon of the, the clip of the first sermon I preached in 2020? Watch this real quick. Whatever it takes for me to get more of you, I'm willing to do it. I didn't know that it was going to be this. Oh, and isn't it funny? Isn't it funny the disconnect that many of us have between what we want God to do in our lives and what it's actually going to take for that to come to pass? Come on, I am convinced that many of us 
pray away things in our life that we pray for God to do. Uh, we say things like, God, I want to be changed, but we don't want to be challenged. Uh, we say, God, I want to go deeper in my relationship with you, but, but don't disturb me. Don't mess up my 10-year plan. Or, oh, God, I want to trust you more, but hey, don't let my bank account get too low. Please don't disturb my comfortable life. But I came to tell somebody watching at City Light today, you serve a God that will disturb you. You serve a God that that will disrupt you. You serve a God that will wreck your plans, wreck your routine, mess up your schedule because he is more committed to transforming you than he is committed to your comfort. God will disturb you. Oh yes, you can put the do not disturb sign on the door if you want. I'm just telling you, you serve a God that will kick that door all the way down. God will disturb you. Come on, how many of you can testify? He did not cause this pandemic, but he sure is using this pandemic to to wake some of us up, to push some of us out of complacency and apathy, God will disturb you. Ooh, in fact, that was Jesus' ministry. If you study the life of Jesus, he had a ministry of disturbing. Oh yeah, every day he woke up, the disciples were like, what are we going to do today, Jesus? He's like, the same thing we do every day. We are going to comfort the disturbed and we're going to disturb the comfortable. Ooh, that's what Jesus did every day. He comforted the disturbed but he also disturbed the comfortable because if you are his disciple, he will disturb you. And boy, that's what's happening in my text today. I love this passage because check this out. Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and they're talking about how they only have one loaf of bread. And in classic Jesus form on the boat out of the blue, he says, watch out, be careful. They're like, what is, is a storm coming through? He's like, no, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Now, come on, city, like, put yourself on the boat. You're on the boat, and Jesus is talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Nobody is on the boat but you and Jesus. What is he talking about? I can see the disciples going, see, he's doing it again. He's doing it again. What is he talking about? What yeast of the Pharisees and Herod? I love this because this is classic Jesus. How many of you know conversations with Jesus often got confusing? Oh yeah, they always got confusing. In fact, those of you watching this message right now, you're like, oh, it would have been awesome to hang out with the physical Jesus. No, it wouldn't. You would have been just as confused as the disciples were because Jesus' conversations often got confusing. They had to get confusing. You know why? Because he was fully God and fully man. Jesus was not just a good man. He was a God man. He was God in the flesh. And when you are talking to somebody that is full deity and full humanity in one body, that conversation is going to get confusing because sometimes the God in him is talking and sometimes the humanity in him is talking and sometimes you don't know which one and he will leave you there scratching your head confused trying to figure it out. Oh, I could give you so many examples. Do you remember the first miracle of Jesus? Remember his first miracle where he turned the water into wine? Do you remember who started that miracle? Who instigated that miracle? It was his mama, his mama. His mama said, baby, they just ran out of wine at the wedding. They ran out of wine. Jesus' response to his mama was, woman, what that got to do with me? It's not my time. <laughs> See, that's how I know Jesus didn't have a black mama, okay? Ain't no way in the world you looking at your mama. If she's black, talking about woman, you would not get the next word or syllable out. He said, woman, what does that have to do with me? It's not my time. What in the world does your time have to do with them running out of wine? He's fully God and he is fully man. 
And the God in him knew that that wine is a metaphor. It is a picture of his blood that was going to be shed on the cross. And how many of you know his blood could not run out? His blood had to be enough to cover my sin and to cover your sin and to cover the sins of the world. So when she said wine, he started thinking about his blood that was going to be shed on the cross at a specific time. And he said, hold on, it's not my time yet. Ooh, maybe I went too deep. Let's go back to the boat with one loaf of bread. The disciples have one loaf of bread on the boat, but Jesus is essentially saying to them, you don't have one loaf of bread on this boat. There are two loaves of bread on this boat Uh because you are holding bread and you are looking at bread. And bread said to them, watch out, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. You don't have to take a cooking class to know that yeast is a fungus. It's actually a fungus. And just a little bit of yeast in the dough of the bread has the ability to affect the totality of the bread. Just a little bit of yeast will affect all of the bread. In the Bible, yeast is a metaphor for sin. It's a metaphor for unbelief. But it's also a metaphor for pride. Because how many know it is the yeast in the dough of the bread that causes the bread to rise? It causes it to be puffed up, be full of hot air. It is a metaphor for pride because there is nothing like pride that will contaminate your walk with the Lord. There is nothing like pride. Just a little bit of pride can contaminate the purity of the bread of life, the gospel that Jesus came to bring. He says, be careful of the yeast, the pride of the Pharisees the religious system, the yeast, the pride of Herod, the political system, because there's nothing like the pride of religion and the pride of politics that has the proclivity to completely contaminate the bread of life. Jesus says, be careful when you start mixing religion and politics with the bread of life, because it will contaminate the purity of the bread. He said, if you think your transformation comes through religion, your works, or if you think transformation comes through power and whoever you put in office, you don't understand my kingdom. My kingdom is transcendent. It's bigger than the way you think and the way you operate. I came to turn the whole system upside down and this kingdom is sustained by the bread of life. That is me. He was talking about the purity of the bread, but the disciples were confused. They thought he was talking about physical bread. So then they started arguing, talking about, see, he mad because we only brought one loaf of bread. And he's like, no, I'm not talking about that bread. I'm talking about me, the bread of life. But since you want to talk about provision, come on, let's talk about provision, the actual bread. Let's review. Okay. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of leftovers did you have? They said, uh, 12. He said, okay, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of leftovers did you have? They said, uh, seven. He said, okay, can you do the math? That means the first time I did the miracle, we actually fed more people with less amount of bread and we had more leftovers. He said, you got one loaf and there's 12 of y'all. I think you're going to be okay. You know why? Because I'm on your boat and if you got me the bread of life, you're going to have every single thing. Thing that you could ever need. Oh, I need somebody at City Light to give God some praise right there. If you have the bread of life on your boat, you will have every single thing that you need. But the Pharisees forgot. They forgot that Jesus multiplied the fish and the bread for the 5,000, and then he did it again for the 4,000. Now, right here is where I got to pause. I got to pause, and I have to issue a complaint. I have to issue a complaint, uh, not to the CDC, 
Uh, I want to issue a complaint to the SSC, the Sunday School Committee, okay, because I was raised in church. In fact, if you were raised in church right there, would you just lift up your hand? You're raised in church. Okay, y'all super spiritual. Some of y'all floated in to church today. And if you were raised in church uh, like I was, I, uh, I was raised in like old school church, like old school church. Like we had to be in church all the time. One time we had stuff like vacation Bible school, old school church. Like we could even celebrate Halloween, okay? That's how spiritual <laughs> we were. We had something called Hallelujah Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still got candy, but you had to dress up like a Bible character, Y'all don't know my struggle. You don't know my struggle. You don't know the struggle of having to walk into Party City. Talking about y'all got that Ezekiel outfit. <laughs> old school church. But in all my years of, of growing up in church and going to Sunday school, when they were passing out the goldfish and the graham crackers, I don't ever remember them telling me that the miracle where Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves for the multitude, he didn't do that miracle just once. He did that miracle twice. That miracle happened not once, but twice. Jesus fed the 5,000. That's when they hijacked the little boy's long John Silvers. But a few months later, he did the same miracle again, and he fed the 4,000. That miracle happened not once, but twice. And so many people just focus on the feeding of the 5,000. But I want to pause today and not just thank Jesus for the feeding of the 5,000. I want to thank Jesus for the feeding of the 4,000 because the feeding of the 4,000 says to me that if God has ever opened up a door in your life once, that if God has ever performed a miracle in your life once, that if God has ever made a way for you once, that if God has ever healed you before once, come on, how many you know he's got the power to do it again? Ooh, the same God that did it once has the power to do it again. The same God that came through for you once has the power to come through again. If he did it before, he can do it again. Hear me, City Light. Please do not allow the difficulty of this year or the difficulty of this season to make you doubt the power of your God. Because if he did it before, hear me, he will be faithful and he will do it again. How many know it is your history with God that gives you confidence to trust him in your present? Come on, some of you need to just review your history with God, all the ways that he's made, all the doors that he's opened. You think he's going to let you down this year? No, the same God that did it once has the power to do it again. I love this miracle of the feeding of the multitudes because this is distinctly different than any other miracle in the New Testament. It's distinctly different because this miracle really reveals the care of God. This miracle doesn't just reveal God's power, it also reveals God's concern, that God cares about the tiniest details of your life. Think about this, that Jesus is not just concerned with spiritual things in your soul, but he cares about your actual needs. Why else would he take the time to multiply food for people? Because God cares about your needs, not just your circumstance or your soul, but he cares about your needs. That's good news. I'm thankful I'm going to heaven and God redeemed my soul, but you need to know your God cares about some groceries too. Come on, he cares about your bills being paid too. If it matters to you, it matters to God. He is a God that cares. And I love this miracle of the feeding of the multitude because it's one of the only miracles that is mentioned in all four Gospels. All four Gospel writers talk about this magnificent day where Jesus multiplied fish and bread. That means Jesus wants us to remember this miracle. 
Now, I want to do something today, and all that was my introduction. Now, I'm playing. But, but I want to put the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 side by side. And I want to look at some of the similarities and the differences between these two miracles. And I want to give you four things today that you cannot forget to remember by looking at these two miracles. The first thing I noticed in both the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 is that you had a whole lot of people, so you had a problem. You had a whole lot of people, so you had a problem. Come on, when the Bible says that there were 5,000 and another time there was 4,000, understand that's not counting the women and the children. It is possible and plausible that these are crowds of 20,000 people. Can you imagine? That is a lot of people. There wasn't no social distancing going on in those crowds. You got a lot of people, so you also have a problem. Number one, don't forget to remember that you are called to problems because you are called to people. You are called to problems because you are called to people. You cannot separate problems from people. The two go together. And guess what? God has called you to be an answer to a problem because he's called you to people, to people. And I think this is an urgent, imperative message to preach in this current climate in which we live. Because how many know things are crazy right now? It is so contentious right now. It is so divisive right now. There is so much drama right now. If you're not careful, you'll put a stiff arm out. And you'll say, I am sick of humans. I don't want to talk to another human till 2022. But I came to tell you, as a believer, you do not get that luxury. If you are called to problems because you are called to people, God has called us to people. Please do not isolate yourself in this season. You cannot isolate yourself. You know why? Because you're called to problems, because you're called to people. And some of you are like, no, I'm sick of it. I just want to isolate myself. Well, I came to tell you, even if you do isolate yourself, you still got a problem because you can't run away from you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got issues, too. You got problems, too. That's really what that shelter-in-place order did for a lot of us. It revealed that many of us had been running from ourselves. We've been hiding behind our busy schedules and our full itineraries. But when the whole world had to go on timeout and nobody could come out and play and you couldn't take a vacation and you couldn't go outside, all of a sudden, some of us had to confront some things we had been running away from for years. And all of a sudden, when you had to confront it, some of us we're looking in the mirror talking about, I can't stand what you keep doing to me because you can't run away from you. You're called to problems because you're called to people. Hear me. That's why you shouldn't cancel anybody. That's why you ought to have grace for difficult people. You know why? Because you're one of them. You're called to problems because you're called to people. Second thing I noticed is that in both miracles, it was the compassion of Jesus that activated the miracle. The compassion of Jesus. In the feeding of the 5,000, the Bible says that Jesus saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. In the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus calls his disciples over and says, I have compassion on these people. It's one of the only times in the Bible that Jesus verbally says, I have compassion. Compassion started the miracle. Number two, don't forget to remember that compassion activates the miraculous. Compassion activates the miraculous. You want to start seeing the miraculous in your life? Start getting compassionate. Start caring about what God cares 
about compassion always activates the miraculous. Oh God, give us some compassionate believers that reflect your character and your heart. Give us some believers who are not so narcissistic that they're always trying to get some bread, but they're saying, God, use me to pass bread to somebody else. You know why? Because compassion activates the miraculous. How many you know if you are a believer, if you're called to love people, which is what Jesus has called you to do, you don't get to sit on the sidelines. You don't get to let compassion fatigue sit in. And just because there's so many issues in our world, you throw up your hands and say, well, there's so many problems. What can I do? You do not get that option. No, 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 no. If you have God's heart, you've got to play your part. You can't do everything, but you can do something. You must take action. In fact, here's a definition for compassion. Compassion is when care and action collide. It is compassion that activates the miraculous. God's calling you in this season to have his heart and to be compassionate so we can start seeing the miraculous happen. Third thing I noticed in this miracle is that the disciples in both miracles saw the weight of the problem. They saw the magnitude of the crowd. And the magnitude of the crowd made them start asking the wrong questions. You notice the questions they asked when they saw the crowd? In the feeding of the 5,000, they started doing the analytics. And they said, it would take eight months' wages to feed this many people. Are we to spend that much money, Jesus, on bread? Wrong question. In the feeding of the 4,000, they saw the crowd and they said, well, where can we even find enough bread to feed these people in this place? Wrong question. The weight of the problem made them ask the wrong questions. Number three, don't forget to remember to always ask the right questions. Always ask the right question. The disciples saw the problem and immediately started asking the wrong questions. Now, this is worth you watching church today. Hear me. Here's why you got to be careful what questions that you ask and if you're asking the wrong questions. Because I found that worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. I'll say it again. Worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of you that are listening to me right now, the reason you are so stressed, the reason you are so worried is because you've been asking the wrong questions. And worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of you are like, I don't believe you. Give me some scripture for that, Robert. Okay, I'll give you some scripture for it. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse number 33, I believe. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. This is Jesus talking. So this is red letter. This is Jesus talking. And I want you to hear what Jesus says. And I want you to see the connection between worry and asking the wrong question. You ready? Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. He says, so do not worry. That's Jesus talking. So that's not a suggestion. That's a commandment. Jesus says, don't worry. So if you're watching this message and you're worrying, stop it. <laughs> he says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. City Light, do you see the connection between not worrying and questions? Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What about my job? What about the house? What about the car? 
What about the kids? What if they never go back to school in person again? What if there's another shutdown? What if I got to keep wearing a mask? What about the groceries? What about the toilet paper? What about the car? What about the money? What about the retirement? Oh, you just sneezed. What if I got it? Wrong questions. <laughs> wrong questions. Hear me. Don't, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that you shouldn't use wisdom. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be wise or maybe even have concern, but I am saying stop worrying, asking the wrong questions. Sometimes, as this year has shown, you got to just throw up your hands and say, God, I don't even know, but what I do know is that you are sovereign and I am not. What I do know is that heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool. What I do know is that all things work for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know somehow, some way, you're going to work it out because because you are God and I am not. Oh, come on, somebody. Stop worrying by asking the wrong questions. Ask the right question. You want to know the right question? Jesus asked this question in both miracles. Both miracles, Jesus only asked this question. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? That's a good question. How many loaves do you have? I like that question. Not only because Jesus asked that question, but when you say, how many loaves do you have? That question doesn't lead to worry. That question leads to work. That makes, question makes you start looking and seeing, wait a minute, what has God given me? That question shifts your focus from what you've lost to what you got left. How many loaves do you have? That question makes you start being grateful for what God has given you. Yes, you've lost some things, but how many loaves do you have? What do you have left? Yes, you lost your job, but guess what? You still got your pulse. That means you still got a purpose. That means God's not through with you yet? Ooh, how many loaves do you have? That is the question you should be asking yourself. Stop focusing on what you've lost and start looking for what you have left. How many loaves do you have? See, some of y'all don't like this message because you're like, you would rather look on social media and look at everybody else's loaves. Like, oh, look at them. What, look at this, Susie. She got a raise during the pandemic. Is that a new car? God's not going to hold you accountable for the loaves somebody else has. He's going to ask you, how many loaves do you have? Matter of fact, I brought a visual for you right here. You see this? Just had this bread convenient. These are my loaves. I kept it 100% real city light. This bread came straight from my house, straight from my pantry. And Taylor, I promise I'm going to put it back. But th th these are my loaves because I wanted you to have a visual of the power of bringing what you have. And I'm telling you, I don't care what you've lost. You got something left. There's something God has given you. How many loaves do you have? You might not like this brand, but guess what? It's not yours. It's mine. You might be mad because it's not gluten-free. That's cool. It's not yours. It's mine. And God's going to hold me accountable for the loaves that I have. What do you have? How many loaves do you have? Some of you still don't like this illustration. You're like, well, where's the fish? Well, look, we didn't have any fish, okay? <laughs> And the uh, reason I didn't bring any fish and I brought, just brought loaves is because Jesus never asked for fish. He never said, how many fish and loaves do you have? He said, how many loaves do you have? He never asked for fish. 
City Light, that means it was in the process of looking for the loaves that they said, wait a minute, we got some fish too. It was in the process of looking for what they did have that God revealed something they didn't even know they had. Because when you take inventory on what you do have, when you start praising and thanking God for what he has given you, how many know God will reveal some stuff you didn't even know you had? Oh, I'm telling you, I know this, I, I, I feel God's presence right now. Somebody needs to just take a praise break right there at City Light and give God some praise for what you do have. Oh, what do you have? He didn't ask them how much fish they had. He said, how many loaves do you have? In the process of looking for the loaves, they said, we got some fish too. Because when you look for what you do have, God will reveal what you didn't even know you had. Can anybody testify and say in 2020, I found some strength I didn't know I had. Some of you found a prayer life you didn't know you had. Some of you found some worship you didn't know you had. Some of you found some Bible reading you didn't know you have. Some of y'all been reading Leviticus, just being blessed by Leviticus because that's how crazy this year has been. Because when you look for what you do have, God will reveal stuff you didn't know you have. The fish was extra. But how many know even after finding the fish, even after having the loaves, when you got 20,000 hungry people, you got to conclude it's not enough. It still wasn't enough. The fish and the loaves were not enough. Am I the only one that's ever looked at the demand on your life and then looked at what was in your hands and just gone? It's not enough. You don't have enough to be the parent he's called you to be. You don't have enough to be the business leader he's called you to be. You don't have enough to do what he's called you to do. And can I tell you, if you felt like you're not enough, I hate to give you this message, you will never be enough. It'll never be enough. Yeah, I'm gonna cancel all your self-help stuff. It will never be enough, especially if your life is gonna stay in your hands. Because if it's in your hands, that means you have to control it. And if 2020 hadn't taught you anything, it should have taught you, you are not in control. Come on, all the control freaks have to resign this year. It's not enough. It'll never be enough in my hands. The miracle always starts when you get it out of your hands and you put it in Jesus' hands. Hear me today. Take that marriage and put it in Jesus' hands. Take that child and put it in Jesus' hands. Take that business that seems like everything is lost and put it in Jesus' hands. Take everything that looks like it's not enough and put it in God's hands. That's where the miracle starts. Put it in his hands and look what Jesus does. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it back to them to feed the multitude. Please don't miss this because the miracle did not happen in the hands of Jesus. Oh, come on, that doesn't take faith. If as soon as they handed it over to Jesus, the bread would have started popping and multiplying, they would have started shouting right there, but that's never how the miracle starts. It did not happen in Jesus' hands. He gave it back to them, and it still was a little bit. The crowd still was massive, but the only difference was that little bit was blessed now. It was blessed. And can I tell you, I would rather have a little bit with God's blessing than to have a whole lot without of it. Come on, I know some people got a big house, have no peace. Driving an awesome Bentley, have no joy, because I would rather have a little bit with his blessing than to have a lot without it. And so even though it wasn't enough, even though the crowd was still hungry 
as they begin to go out and pass the bread, they begin to see, number four, that multiplication happens through interaction. Don't forget to remember that multiplication happens through interaction. As they passed out the bread to other people, as they saw the people they're passing out the bread to, all of a sudden it starts multiplying because multiplication happens through interaction. Come on, this miracle is not even efficient. Why are 12 guys passing out the bread to 20,000 people? Come on, Jesus had all power. You know he could have done this miracle way more efficient. He could have just wiggled his nose, snapped his fingers, and made everybody be full. He could have set up an in-and-out fishing bread station and just got everybody through expeditiously. Why are 12 guys passing out the bread to 20,000 people? How long did this miracle take? Jesus is sitting back going, I want it to take that long. Because I want you to see the faces of the people that you are passing the bread to. Maybe even get their stories. Because I want you to see, don't forget to remember that multiplication happens through interaction. As you interact with people, as you give out, it will always multiply. As you hand out, God will make sure you have what you need. As you interact with other people, come on, please. This is why the enemy keeps attacking the church and he wants us divided. Because he knows a house divided cannot stand. But multiplication happens through interaction. As they passed out, not only did everybody eat, they had leftovers. They had leftovers. But here's my issue with the disciples, and I close with this. Disciples, I get why you are nervous the first time Jesus did the miracle with the 5,000. I get why you're nervous. I get why you're sweating like I'm sweating right now. <laughs> I get why you're nervous. I mean, up until this point, we didn't know that Jesus knows how to multiply fish and bread. So I give you a pass on the first time. I don't give you a pass on the feeding of the 4,000. On the feeding of the 4,000, you should have known by now, oh, Jesus does this. When it comes to hunger crowds, Jesus does this. Guys, we've been there, done that. Come on, let's do the same system as last time. Why are you stressed about the feeding of the 4,000? You have history that God can do it. Why are you stressed the second time? Could it be possible they were quick to forget God's faithfulness in the past? But I also think it's deeper than that. Because if you notice, the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples' issue was the price of the bread. It was the price. They did the math. They said it would take eight months' wages to feed this many people. Jesus, you know we ain't got the money for that. The issue was the price. But in the feeding of the 4,000, the issue was not the price. It was the place and the people. Remember, they said, and I quote, where can we even find enough bread to feed these people in this place? Which made me go, where was that place and who were those people? This is where you got to go to the maps in the back because you know the maps in the back of your Bible preach too. And I found out that the feeding of the 5,000 happened near Bethsaida, close to the Sea of Galilee. Hear me, in Jewish territory. But the feeding of the 4,000 happened on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, near the region of the Decapolis, in Gentile territory. Oh yes, the feeding of the 4,000 happened in an area that the disciples had avoided their entire life. It happened with the people that they had avoided their entire lives, a people they thought they were better than, a people they could not stand, a people that voted different than them, that had a different way of life. That's where the feeding of the 4,000 happened. Oh, 
No wonder you had an issue with those people and that place. You spent your entire life avoiding those people and avoiding that place. But thanks be unto God who took his disciples on a field trip to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to show them you don't get to pick who you're going to pass the bread to because I am that bread of life that you are passing out. And if you're going to be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end ends of the earth. You don't get to pick who you're going to pass the bread to because everybody needs the bread of life. Oh, come on, somebody. How many of you know everybody needs the bread of life? Who is Jesus? Old people need the bread. Young people need the bread. Black people, white people, Latinos, Asians, every race, every culture, every creed needs the bread. Democrats need the bread. Republicans need the bread. Independents need the bread. Everybody needs the bread of life. And you don't get to pick who you're going to pass the bread to. You just got to pass it because God's called you to do it. And as you pass it, watch the miracle take place. I love the feeding of the 4,000 because the feeding of the 4,000 was a field trip to break the disciples' mentality about who they thought deserved the bread. It had to break them. I love what Jesus did with the bread is what he did with his disciples and what he will do with your life. Remember, he took it, he blessed it, but then he broke it so that it could be multiplied. And if you look in your life, I promise you, you'll see seasons where Jesus is doing the taking, he's doing the blessing, but he will do the breaking. And the breaking is not to destroy you. The breaking is so he can use you more. The breaking is so you can give bread and life to somebody else. So if you felt like this year has been breaking you, hear me, it's not to destroy you. It's so God can use you more. Come on, you're going to be able to show somebody how you can worship even when you're depressed. You'll be able to show somebody, hey, let me show you the scriptures you go to when you have an anxiety attack. That's why you cannot quit this year. Do not let 2020 define you. I know it's breaking you, but the breaking is not to destroy you. It's so God can use you more. You got to trust him. In the taking, trust him in the blessing, but also trust him in the breaking because the breaking is so he can use you more. Don't forget to remember the God that was faithful in the past will be faithful right now. Can I pray for you, City Light? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you're watching this from? You didn't hear this message today by accident. And I know some of you are going through the breaking season and you want to quit and you want to give up, but don't let this year define you. I'm telling you, after this year, you're going to look back over your life and say, thank God for 2020. Thank God for the breaking. Breaking is never to destroy. So it can use you more. Maybe you've been going through the breaking this year and you feel like giving up. I want to pray for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister who's going through the breaking I pray they will trust you even in the breaking season, knowing that you're going to use them in a deeper way, that you're going to use them to give life to somebody else. Father, thank you that we comfort people with the comfort we have been comforted with. With your head is even still bowed and eyes still closed. If you've never even taken that first step to say, Jesus, my life is yours, I would love to give you that opportunity right now. He is the bread of life. 
Maybe this year has stripped away some things that you've been going to fulfill you. And now you're hungry, but I'm telling you, there is bread. His name is Jesus, and he will satisfy. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I would love to give you that opportunity in this moment to pray this prayer with me. Would you pray this prayer as your head's about, eyes are closed, wherever you're watching this from, somebody right now watching online in your living room, and God's presence is meeting you right now. I want you to pray this prayer. Just say, dear Jesus, I cannot do life without you. I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. You died for me. You're coming back for me. But until that moment, I trust you. I trust you in the taking. I trust you in the blessing. And I trust you in the breaking. From this moment forward, I'm walking with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ooh, God bless you, City Light Church. Thank you so much for letting your boy Robert Madu share the word with you. Pastor Jabin and Shannon, I love you. As soon as all this craziness and pandemic is good, I am going to be there in Vegas in person. We're going to have a party. Love you guys so much.